So last week, we were talking about understanding stewardship, right? This week is, is, is going to dovetail really nicely into, but basically last week we covered the meaning of stewardship, right? And the idea and the concept of everyone's responsibility. So, you know, we have to understand that stewardship is, is really it's just a manager. So every one of us that have come to know Christ, right, and begin to walk and follow him, we have been given a measure of responsibility or stewardship, items in which that, that we, are, we are gauged by how well or how poorly we manage it. You know, the, the spectrum is wide, right? So anyway, you, you, from poor to great. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we talked about last week in, in Matthew chapter 25 about the parable of the talents, and he was talking about it in that chapter. It's a kingdom chapter, is it not? So he never left that subject of, of managing your talents. So the, the managing of the talents is, is the idea that the, the master went on a journey and he, he, he took three of his slaves or his servants and entrusted them with a certain amount of monetary value. Now a denarii or whatever it was, it depends on which one you look at, but in Matthew it's a denarii, is 20 years worth of labor. He entrusted one with 100 years worth of labor. He brought back another hundred years. He did well with what he was entrusted with. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that, at least I have to remind myself, is that is our financial responsibility included in our stewardship? Absolutely. Okay. But stewardship is not only monetarily focused. Okay. We have to understand there's some basic principles, and, and it really took me a while to go back and look in the Scripture and really kind of reset my mind, and hopefully that's one of the things that I would like to do with you all today, is it covers some real basic things, but with the, with the concept and the approach that <clears throat> there's, there's a stewardship responsibility and a stewardship approach to how we live our lives. And so, you know... How many times, look, if you can't afford them, don't breed them, right? You ever seen those bumper stickers? Which I believe, I think that's 100% accurate. You know, if you can't afford them, don't breed them. And it's a really crude way of putting it, right? But if you have to, if you have to, if somebody has to pay for, for your responsibilities, you are not a good manager or a good steward of the things that have been entrusted with you, Correct. If you are leaning on the government or if you're leaning on somebody else to pay your bills, you're not managing your finances well enough. Amen? Because that same person that will rely upon somebody to take care of their own family is relying upon somebody to take care of their salvation too. And their walk in the Lord. They go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Same principle, bigger level or different level, different approach. Buying a vehicle that you can't afford. You know how many times in my life somebody has came to me and says, hey, I went out and bought a new truck, therefore I need a raise. That ain't how the world works. And in my secular job, 
you know, I'm not rude to them, but they are promptly asked to leave my office because that's not how the world works. But that is how we approach things sometimes. What, what you could say about that, you say, I bought a bigger house, so therefore, you know, I need more money. That's not how that works. That's called irresponsible. That is called mismanaging what you have. But yet that's how we approach it. I have people nowadays saying, you know, in this generation, this aging generation said, I think I deserve this much. And so they want the raise before they put the work in. That's not scriptural. That's not founded in the scripture. Look, the scripture teaches even in the parable of towns, you put the work in and you receive the reward. Oh, you mean that's biblical? Absolutely. Somebody that wants the money before they're willing to put in the work is irresponsible. That's how that works. Oh, man, and I'm tying that right back to the scripture, aren't I? You mean it's biblical? Absolutely. Understanding, and see, this is at the core of understanding stewardship, is that we have, every one of us in here, has varying degrees, but we all have a responsibility level to God and to this assembly. Every single one of us. The worst thing that we ever did, and I say this and you'll say, man, this is a broken, broken record. The worst thing we ever did is that we qualified somebody as a faithful servant in the Lord solely by membership attendance. The worst thing we ever did. Membership attendance, engaging membership attendance is a part of the equation for sure. I don't stand before you today and pretend that I'm not a pastor and that I don't care about whether or not somebody's here. But if that is all you care about, then you might as well get a gym membership and just have that thing dangling on your key ring or go into the gym and beep, beep in and walk back out and do no work. Or you could be the type of person that says, I've read 65 books on you know, financial stewardship or doing good things, but you implement nothing and you're dead broke like you were 10 years ago. That means that you've got a head full of knowledge, but you haven't done nothing with it. Those kind of stories repeat themselves over and over and over again in our lives. And there's a direct correlation for all of us. Different applications in different places, so on and so forth, right? There's, it, it, it's, it's, it's multifaceted, but we have to understand <clears throat> that this concept of stewardship is all throughout the Bible and where we've gone off the rails and I could spend a long time doing this really because I, I just, you know, and, and I've, I've been a part of the issue probably too, you know what I mean? It, to, to have some kind of level of ownership in this is that we understand that we have a boss. We forget sometimes that this right here ain't ours. This body, we're members of it. And we can call it our body while we're here, but the reality of it is it's his body and he redeems this body, not you or I. Everybody understands that, right? 
Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. So everything that we do in this body, while we are engaged by that, while it is very important to each and every one of us, ultimately the person that is looking down or the, the being that is looking down is God himself. And he's looking down and said, I placed you there with a purpose. I put you there with a certain level of responsibility. I blessed you with four kids. Did you lead your kids right? Did you lead your family right? I entrusted you, Father, with a responsibility to be a good dad, a spiritual leader in your household. Did you do that? But taking me and you know, pointing me towards you know, taking one brother and, and using them as the mirror image for, for everybody is wrong. So you say, I want to do it just like brother so-and-so. You ain't going to do it like brother so-and-so. That's not how that works. You haven't been entrusted with the same level of responsibilities that, that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so has. It doesn't work that way. And to say, it should, I should be like that. No, you shouldn't be like that. You should be how God has called you to be, to the best of your potential, where he's called you from and where he's called you to. Whether you've been entrusted with five talents, two talents, or one talent. You get caught up on all those things. See, five, two, one. There's varying degrees of responsibility levels. We have to resign ourselves to the fact that there are some people. The scripture teaches us there will be the poor amongst us forever and always, right? What does that look like? There could be poor people around us all the time. Sometimes you look around and go, well, what? You know, and you can say spiritually poor or somebody that doesn't get it. Listen, man, if someone keeps showing up and is giving forth the effort, you don't have the opportunity to turn your back on them. That's not in your job scope. It's not in my job scope either. We don't pick and choose who comes through those doors. <clears throat> The 50th Psalm. I love this. It really puts things in perspective, right? Because this is important for us today. In today's message, it says, verse 7 in the 50th Psalm, it says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, no male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. I shall eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats, goats <clears throat> offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call, call upon me, excuse me, in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Wait a minute. We're going to read another scripture in the Psalms. He puts it pretty clearly, doesn't he? He says, everything that moves in the field is mine. 
the cattle on a thousand hills. So then why does God need the sacrifice? God doesn't need the sacrifice. He needs us to do it. We need this sacrifice. We need to go through the process of learning and understanding. We need that, not him. It's all his. Your car, your house, this building, your finances, it's all his. He doesn't need it. The earth is his. It's all his. Now, what there are a certain set of mankind that refuses to honor God from their wealth, refuses to acknowledge the existence of God. They will find out as well that it is all his. Everybody sitting in here in this room has been tipped off to the fact that it's all his. We're blessed by the fact that we get to serve the master that owns everything. We know who owns it. And even the people who know and rightfully know that he owns all this stuff has a tendency to forget that fact. How can we how can we so easily forget those things when I treat you like garbage or you treat me like garbage? I forget the fact that I've called to do a good job, haven't I? Wait a minute. That the boss is watching? Yeah. Or when we like to rat hole and hide things from, from God, even though we can't, we still try. Isn't it funny how we do those kind of things? You know, I get the image, you know, a, a lot of times as a kid. Moms, I think God gives moms a special power. Best way to put it. Moms know when their kids are lying. They always do. And, and you know, you can try your best when you try and lie. A mom knows. She'll find you out in a, in a New York minute. It's just the way it works. And I think about it sometimes. You know, God looking down at us, too. We think we've hidden something, right? It's like, not hiding anything. You talked about, was it Ezekiel on Wednesday night? Weren't we reading Ezekiel on Wednesday night? Dig through the wall. See what's going on behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. God can dig through the wall. He dug through the wall just so that he could give him a lesson. God already knew, right? Already knew. The 24th Psalm. Says in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend in the hill of the Lord and who, who may stand in his holy place? I'll stop there. But anyways, the point is, is that, look, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That is an important thing for us to remember as stewards. Why? Why is that important? See, we have this unique ability that if somebody's not, you know, for, for instance, they're a non-believer or something that, you know, we, we get this idea that there's a separation between our Christian life and our secular life. There is no separation. You are who you are. And if you do live dual lives, eventually a collision will occur. It is inevitable. 
So the faster we are in understanding that two lives are really not two lives, the better we are at removing the things from our lives when we don't really understand that it'll cause us problems later, right? Point of it is, is it, is it says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. In other words, it's all his. The world and those who dwell in it. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's all his. He's going to deal with all this when he gets back. When his son returns, he deals with all this stuff. That's not mine and your responsibility. We're to fall in line with what God's called us to do. Now, this brings me to a transitional point in today's message, okay? In Hebrews chapter 6. This is something that I'm my the effort for me to do this is is really the idea behind a transition that needs to take place in all of our lives in, in individually, but also hopefully collectively can transpire in our in our body as well. And so in verse one, it says, therefore, in Hebrews chapter six and verse one, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He says, and this will do if God permits. He says, look, we'll cover all that stuff. So basically, he says in Hebrews chapter 6 there, he says, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ. Now, does that mean that you forget about those elementary teachings? No. They're the foundation. Listen, the foundation of our faith and the foundation of our belief system is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Amen? That all life in this world revolves and centers around Jesus Christ. Amen? We can't leave that. That there is a preferred or an identified path to approach Christ. Amen? It's His way. You can say, well, talk about washing all the, the, the importance and validity of baptism. Is that not true? It's in the scripture. You can't get around it. Those things are vital. They are very important. Faith is very vital. It's very important. You, everything that we do is based upon faith, right? And so all these things. But however, you must understand that those are merely the foundation. They're merely the beginning. A church that only covers. And you see, here's, let, me, let me give you the law of the pendulum, okay? If you go to a church and all they do is spend their time about first faith salvation or all they do is spend their time about talking about Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, right? You say, well, that could be bad. Well, well, there's argument there, right? And you say, well, all you do is talk about baptism, right? You could do the same thing. You understand? In other words, what happens to us is we can stymie our own growth by never maturing and never basing. Look, is there a time to preach about salvation? Is there a time to preach about those things? Absolutely. Is there a time to cover the basics? Yes, there absolutely is. Matter of fact, if you think about it, Think about it from a church perspective. The morning message and what we're talking about today is vitally important that 
everybody hears the message of Jesus Christ and how to properly serve him. Amen. But if you only cover the same subject over and over and over again, and you only have the variation of that same subject, or you like to pick apart what somebody else does over and over again, you get zero growth. There is no maturity. There's no depth. We have to be committed as a church and as a people that when we preach and when we teach is that when you look at these things, it says that press on to maturity. What do you mean? Listen, obviously, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. Everybody sitting in here has got a pretty good understanding about that, right? But at some point, we should probably be talking about, I don't know, pressing issues that go on in our life, right? And understanding what progress and growth in the faith looks like. The scripture, when you start to open up that window, the scripture is very clear that there's plenty of opportunities for us to do that. There's plenty of ways for us to grab the scripture and be able to learn and to glean from it and say, oh, that's what it means to experience Christ in our lives. But we have to be committed to make progress. We spent the last 40 years, and I'm speaking only as, as what I know, the last 20 years, I'll say the last 20 years, arguing about salvation, where salvation stands. That's like arguing about the race at the starting line. That's what it's like. We haven't even started to run yet. No, I'm going to run. I'm going to tell you how fast I'm going to run. No, I'm going to tell you how fast I'm going to run. I'm going to blow the doors off you. You just wait. You just watch. You just wait. Two people sitting back arguing about the starting line. Arguing about the finish. Haven't even started. Barely even started the race. Barely even left the start line. I think that's the way God looks at us sometimes. And so we have to migrate and we have to get away from that and say, listen, hold on a second. The, the things that we discuss need to be real. They need to be, they need to be applicable in our lives. They need to be applicable in the people's lives that, that God calls into our path. You got to help people. We got to help ourselves. And we have to press on to maturity to do that. Stewardship is that subject or is a subject along those same lines is that every one of us in here has been entrusted. I shared with you guys before that, that even in the husband and wife response, uh, 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 position in the church, look at it from it's all God's right. This helps you reconcile a lot of things. Really, it does for me. You look at it you go, from a stewardship standpoint, right? You look at a husband and a wife. You do realize that those positions are of equal value. 100% without question, they are equal value, different responsibility level. That means when you go over there and read, that's why a husband doesn't sit there and tell the wife what to do and think that he gets to be boss, boss hoss the entire time. That's not how that works. What do you mean? Well, by God, I'm the spiritual leader of this household. Not if you aren't. What? Not if you're not managing your responsibility properly. What about if she manages better than you? Uh, 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 uh. 
Yeah, she's a spiritual leader. Not you. Well, it shouldn't be that way. Then buck up, cowboy. It's time to get working. Or sit back and be quiet. Because that's how it's going to work. Now, each one of us, you look at that and go, well, that's, why would you say that? Because each one of us has been entrusted with a certain level of responsibility, a certain level of our stewardship. Something that, you know, we talked about, you know, we've migrated away from it. But I'll tell you, evidence of us, of our lack of understanding of these things is not allowing women to pray in church. That is a, a complete lack of understanding of stewardship, in my personal opinion. And as I see it in the scripture. Someone took one scripture and ran with it. And ultimately silenced 50% of our assembly. I do not agree with that, and I don't think that's scriptural. You look at, whoa, we've done that for the last 50 years. That doesn't make it right. But yet, here we are. Those are the kind of, that right there, you look at it, what did that benefit us? I don't know, not much. Now, Couple of key scriptures. So we must, it says we must move past the elementary teachings and, and that, that are the base in which we, and that, look, doesn't mean you for, forget them, okay? The base teachings, they must be there. There must be an avenue in which to learn those things, especially, but we need to be positioned as a church that we afford the opportunity to learn the base things and the, the opportunity also in which to mature. Does that make sense? So that we can continue, so that we can start, so that we can grow, so that we can learn, and so that we can help others do the same. So that we could properly manage the things and the responsibilities that God has entrusted us with. That is the idea behind what I'm saying. It's not for me to simply say that because we did these things, we're bad people, or because people did these things, we're bad people. I don't care about all that stuff, folks. I, I really don't. I only bring those things up as object lessons so that we can understand here, here, okay, that we're going to grow, that we start somewhere, that we grow, that we mature, and that we manage what God has entrusted us with <coughs> properly. And that we also have the understanding that every single one of us in here, in our lives, have been entrusted with a certain amount of Money, certain amount of responsibility. It really kind of permeates everything that we do, whether we work, wherever we work, wherever we interact with our friends and all those different things. You see, we're, we're entrusted with a certain amount everywhere we are. No matter what we do. You're a servant of the Lord. No matter where you're at. No matter what you do. No matter your job title. Matter of fact, a good representation and a good understanding of those things is that we got a varying degree of job titles that are out there. That we're an accurate representation of the, of the people that we are called from, the region, if you will.
the 11th proverb Now, verse 24 says, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters himself will be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessing will be upon uh, the head of him who sells it. He who diligently seeks good favor, but he who seeks evil will evil will come to him. I do believe that this is monetarily focused, but also as well as our lives, right? The talents and the things that God has entrusted us with. In other words, if we're generous, God will be prosperous to us. It's funny how that works, right? What do you mean? If you're generous with your time, if you're generous with your uh, approach to people, uh, you'll be prosperous. In other words, the Lord adds to that, right? If you spend time getting to know people and, and spending time with people and, and enjoying you know, conversations with people, if you invest in those type of things, guess what happens? You're prosperous in that. Amen. Whoa. But if we decide, I don't want to do that because I don't think they deserve it or whatever it is, it just depends. Now, they, I will say, there are some folks out there that this is why it's varying degrees, okay? I do not expect, nor would I expect everybody to, to have the same level of social interaction that, say, I would or Brother Chad would, right? That's not fair because there are certain people that they really like to do that. And then there's others. You keep your group small, but it's small nonetheless, but be effective, right? Because there's some people out there that, that that's not what they do. And that's fine. Just whatever, how small or how, how, whatever you've been entrusted with, just make sure that you're managing it proper. And I say, well, you said varying degrees. Now, listen, your potential and your desire is between you and God. You understand? I'm not going to sit up here and tell you what you should be doing. You need to sit on your knees and ask God what you have been entrusted with. That's between you and the Lord. Now, I can help you along the way. Your deacons of the church and the elders of the church can help you along the way. But we're not going to sit down and tell you and prescribe exactly what you should be doing. That's between you and the Lord. Maybe some of us might need to be reacquaint ourselves with that fact a time or two and say, God, what have you entrusted me with? Who have you placed in my path? What? Promotion have you given me at work? Why? So that I could just get more money? Okay. Money's a nice perk, right? And God does bless. I mean, if you take a look around the room, there ain't any of us in here starving, right? We're doing pretty, pretty doggone good. So God doesn't just do that to do it. You sit back and go, okay, Lord, what did you want me to do with this? Again, that's between you and the Lord. Back in the, the 11th proverb, 
Oh, man. My Bible software acting up on me again. There we go. So the generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will, uh, will himself be watered. In other words, the Lord's going to take care of us, right? Now, this idea of stewardship. You know, I thought about it. I was sitting there. You know, I was like, man, how, what good examples are there that really drive home the idea that this is not a new concept? But we've migrated away from it, right? Because what church can turn into, not saying that it has here or hasn't, okay? But what church can turn into, what, what I, even the fact that I'm saying it, it can turn into what I would call a social club. Where you pay for an entertainer to stand before you and preach the things that you like to hear. That is, I'm of the firm conviction what fellowship meetings have turned into. It's paid entertainment. Preaching the things that we like to hear. Well, and you say, well, you've spoke at a lot of them. And I have. And, 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 and hopefully I can be the voice of reason to some to say, hey, whoa, time out. Let's start talking about some stuff that's going to help some people. Instead of, instead of a bunch of preachers getting together telling everybody how, how smart they are or their variation of covenant teaching or their variation of all these different things, how about the people, hey, if, if, if divorce is a problem in the churches, how about we don't cover divorce? How about when we, we cover marital issues? How about we cover, you know, I don't know, pornography and things like that that are really out there that cause people problems? How about we cover subjects like that? Oh, why would you do that? That's what all them other churches do. Yeah, and they got more people in them. You say, well, that's not our fault. Okay, keep telling yourself that. If you refuse to deal with the issues that people encounter, depression is another one. You say, well, how can we talk about depression? I don't know, but maybe we should probably talk about depression and anxiety and things like that at these fellowship meetings and things like that when we gather together. Brethren, I'm not against those things, but what I would like, to, what I would like us to see is stuff that is applicable to everyday life and Christianity. Amen. The things that we teach and the things that we preach here, I can't control all that other stuff. But what we can do here is make a difference. That when someone walks through those doors and they got a problem with alcoholism, that they got somebody here that they can talk to about that. Or we can continue to pretend that those things don't exist. I'm not, I don't want to be a part of the, the, the environment that the, we pretend that those things don't occur. Say, so, well, that's kind of real. It's kind of raw sometimes. Yeah, it is. Maybe you're not a part of... That conversation for folks at this current juncture in time. But maybe someday you might be. You ever thought for a second that God takes you through some challenges in your life for a purpose? Every one of us in here has sins. Every one of us in here has problems. Don't we? Anger issues. Resentment. Forgiveness issues. Oh, no, that stuff. We're not plagued by those things, right? Why don't we talk about that? Those are the kind of things that press on toward maturity. Huh? Why? Because that's going to help you grow. It's going to help us grow as a people. It's going to help us grow as an assembly in the Lord.
It's going to press us on to maturity. So that we can continue to build and add to this assembly. That God will continue to add to this assembly the folks that can be the solution. You say, well, Jesus is the solution. Yep. But we can be the tool and the instrument that he uses to accomplish his plan and his purpose in this community. Now, the perfect, I was saying, I did a little, and actually Google is extremely helpful in so many different ways, right? Uh, you could look up all kinds of different facts and things like that, but I thought about, oh, Google search this, right? I'm like, Examples of stewardship in the Bible, right? I'm thinking, huh? start there, right? Because obviously the parable of the talents, but I'm pretty sure you all probably want to hang me by my toes if I started reading that again this week. Right? So I'm not going to read that. I did mention it already three times at the beginning, though. So. <laughs> but I didn't read it. Okay? You look at that. So I looked it up, and the, this scripture came to mind, and it, it popped up, and I thought, of course. You know, I didn't even think of it this way. Genesis chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. Everybody in here, or for the most part, most of us are very familiar with the creation of the world, that God created the world, right? God created mankind. Remember that scripture says, all the Lord is his, or all the world is his, and everything that it contains? Those are the kind of reminders you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Genesis chapter 2, and verse 15, this scripture right here. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Go to work. He didn't just give him the garden as a nice, pretty present. He gave him the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. Manage the garden that I've blessed you with. That was like one of those moments you're like, oh my goodness, right at the beginning. The beginning and the inception of mankind. It's his garden. He said, this is my garden. You cultivate it and keep it. In other words, Adam and Eve had the boss, the main boss. They had a direct line to the boss at that time. A direct line. But he put them in the midst of the garden. He put Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden. They were to cultivate it and to keep it. Which implies what? It was to yield fruit. It was to... Not, they weren't going to go to work for no reason. In other words, God says, I'm giving you this. Take care of it. <clears throat> Ooh. Sound familiar? The garden was a gift for mankind, was it not? Uh-oh, there's a correlation. Salvation is a gift, isn't it? 
There's, see, there's nothing you and I in here that we can do to deserve salvation. There's no amount of no punch list item. There's nothing that we can do to achieve that. The, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is an absolute gift. Designed purposely that way. Because if there was a way that we could achieve it through our flesh, we would most definitely try to do it. It's not achieved through means of the flesh. The garden was a gift. Man did nothing to deserve it. Nothing at all. But God entrusted it to him and told him to cultivate it and to keep it. Responsible. Manage my garden. And matter of fact, Put one tree in the middle of it, didn't he? That one tree, he said, stay away. Don't touch it. Everything else he was responsible for. That one tree in the midst of the garden, he was not responsible for. He, God said, don't touch it. Leave it alone. The one thing that obviously they didn't listen to. But the, the premise and the understanding of our level of stewardship, brethren, goes back to the very existence of mankind. Every one of us in here has been entrusted with a certain level of responsibility in our lives. Certain level. Listen, it, it, you know, no matter the dynamics that are out there, husband and wife with children, husband and wife with no children, husband and wife with grown children, no matter what it is, retired, still working, doesn't matter. Every one of us, there's, you know, you look at it and it's like, I'm kind of a data nut when it comes to work, right? So I look at it like stack bar charts on a, on a graph, right? I, I always have lots of graphs in, in, in my secular job, right? And so you got a bunch of stack bar charts. Every one of us, you know, has got our own levels and our own responsibilities and all these different things that we do. And we're gauged independently by those things because we are all now we are collective servants of the Lord and I do believe that as assembly God looks at us and has a certain responsibility level for all of us as an assembly right amen I mean we have a responsibility to one another but also the church God right but individually in our lives we have certain responsibility levels whether if you have an employer you say, well, my, that's my boss. You know, yeah, do your work as unto the Lord, right? Oh, so you have one boss, really? Yeah, the scripture teaches us that. So whether you have a boss and you're responsible for those, if God has placed people in your life, friendships and partnerships and things like that, those are all your responsibilities. The more and more we try and escape our own responsibilities the harder and harder it becomes to be a good steward of the Lord. So mismanaging of our finances or mismanaging our homes is more than just a mismanaging of our homes. It's more than an isolated incident. It's not understanding that God has entrusted us with those things so that we could manage them effectively and properly. To our given potential. 
I always tell my kids whenever they play a sport, I don't expect them to be the best. I expect them to do their best. And that applies here. I don't expect any one of you, I would never expect any one of you to be the best at any one thing. Unless the best was your best. Does that make sense? Every one of us has different potential levels. Every one of us has different, different responsibility levels. We just need to become more focused and understand with the understanding of a stewardship time mentality that we have a responsibility level in there, right? That we're all accountable for those things. And it manifests itself in every aspect of our life. We don't turn the switch on and off. That's not how this works. You don't get to have a Christian life and you get to have your secular life. That's not how that works. I read a great book years ago. It was written by John C. Maxwell. and Because I always had a hard time in the world, in business world, right? You, you, his, his book basically says that there's no such thing as business ethics. There's just ethics. And I agree with that. I read that book. I thought, oh, man, that makes sense. It helped me reconcile because... I would have mentors that would tell me, hey, listen, I know you go to church and I do all these things, but this is how we do things here. And some of it was pretty shady and underhanded, right? Well, I had a hard time doing some of that stuff, right? And it, and now, truth be told, it, it takes you a little while. You know, I did some things over the years that I'm not real proud of that made some th- certain things disappear over the years, right? That Not people, but, you know, <laughs> just to clarify that. Uh, Certain things disappear because I was towing the company line, right? Because I was doing what the boss told me to do. Well, man, I was having a hard time sleeping because I thought I was doing the right thing. And I, I can't, I'm not going to say anything in case somebody else gets a hold of this recording, right? So, but, you know, I did some things. I'm like, man, I don't know. Well, I, I read that book and I thought, oh, that makes sense. That's why I'm at, at odds with this because I'm listening to my superiors telling me I'm doing the right thing. And, hey, good job. All right, you know, and then on the inside, I'm like, man, this doesn't feel so good. I don't like the way this feels. You know, you read that book and you're like, I read the book and it's like, no, okay, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do it. Truth be told, that's actually why I got out of the safety industry. That's another subject for another day, but that's one of the reasons. Depending on the company you work for, they want you to be a creative liar. Creative I am. Liar, I don't like doing. So, you know, you, you have to reconcile those things. And so, in other words, my point is, is that I was entrusted with a certain level of responsibility. I didn't think I was managing it properly. I read a book and it was like, oh, I'm not managing this properly. This is not good. I'm not going to do that anymore. You can't have the separation between the two. So there's not a secular life and there's not a, there's not a Christian life. It's just your life. It's no difference. You can't treat your boss horrible and then come to church and expect to treat everybody right. That doesn't work that way. You can't flip that switch. We're not complex enough to be able to do that. Every one of us, like I said earlier, you don't have to be the best. You just have to do your best. Rise to your potential. And some of us probably over the next couple weeks probably ought to hit our knees and and really pray about what God has entrusted us with. God revealed to me what I have been entrusted with. The relationships, the people that have been put in my path, 
the uh, places of employment, my employer and all this, whatever it is, ask the Lord to reveal your responsibility level to you, your level of stewardship, and also ask him to help you do your best. Recognize your stewardship. May the Lord bless you and keep you guys.